0: Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that the July podcast is sponsored by Massimo. This is an introduction to Massimo Nasal High Flow Therapy. Soft Flow provides warmed and humidified respiratory gases through a soft nasal cannula to spontaneously breathing patients with respiratory distress and other pulmonary conditions. Equipped with an advanced integrated flow generator that delivers consistent flow during inspiration and expiration, SoftFlow is designed to enhance therapy benefits while eliminating the need to connect to an external source of compressed air. Visit Massimo.com forward slash SoftFlow to learn more. And now I turn the program over to the Editor-in-Chief
1: for this month's podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Respiratory Care Editor's Commentary Podcast for July of 2021. This is Rich Branson. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. This month's issue of Respiratory Care includes original research, as per usual, as well as a series of papers based on lectures and presentations from the AERC Congress 2020 Live. That meeting, of course, was virtual because of the COVID-19 pandemic. In a typical year, one of the issues in the summer is dedicated to proceedings from the journal conference. Again, COVID-19 altered that paradigm. I'm grateful to all the authors who helped bring this issue to fruition, basing papers based on their lectures during the Congress. This month's editor's choice paper evaluates the use of transpulmonary pressure to guide lung protective ventilation in obese subjects. Rowley and colleagues retrospectively reviewed ventilator settings, gas exchange, and pulmonary mechanics in 20 subjects with a body mass index of greater than 47 kg per meter square following esophageal manometry. Determination of transpulmonary pressure resulted in an increase in PEEP and improved pulmonary compliance as well as a lower driving pressure. After 24 hours oxygenation was improved at the lower FiO2. The authors concluded that the use of esophageal pressure to guide ventilator management in abuse subjects provides improved lung protection. Deal provides an accompanying editorial suggesting that the use of esophageal manometry and transpulmonary pressure is an opportunity to optimize ventilation in a personalized approach for each individual patient. Ego et al. report the results of a quality improvement project to reduce unplanned extubations in the neonatal intensive care unit. Using an interprofessional task force and plan do study act cycles that included surveys of staff attitudes, creation of a data collection tool, and staff education regarding patient transfers and daily assessment of endotracheal tube securement, unplanned extubations were evaluated against a historical control of 9.9 unplanned extubations per 100 ventilator days. Post-intervention, The unplanned expedition rate fell to 1.6 per 100 ventilator days. The authors concluded that ongoing surveillance and staff education are required for sustained improvement. Drescher and Alamod performed a retrospective analysis of 136 subjects with sepsis who received non-invasive ventilation. NIV failure and subsequent intubation occurred in approximately half of these subjects. NIV failure was associated with a greater severity of illness higher lactate, and a requirement for a higher FiO2 at the initiation of non-invasive ventilation. In this population with sepsis, only NIV failure was independently predictive of death. This is an interesting trial and reaffirms that in severe respiratory failure in the presence of sepsis and hypoxemia, NIV is not necessarily a a first-line tool. I think we also should Come to the point where we don't consider this as NIV failure as much as the severity of illness requires invasive mechanical ventilation. Sorg and colleagues revisit the shortcomings of shared ventilation in a lung model, addressing each of the previously described risks which limit safe application. They address separate control of tidal volume and PEEP and separate measurement of tidal volume and PEEP for each patient. Of course, this was a lung model study. They developed a flow diverter valve, which allowed distribution of tidal volume to each lung while not altering the flow waveform. So the entire output from the ventilator was delivered, but independently diverted from one, ventil- one patient to the other. So one patient got the full output, but the other patient got a smaller output. This single valve reduces flow to one subject while increasing flow to the other. A separate system using a disposable pneumotachographs allowed monitoring tidal volume and PEEP, valves were used for differential PEEP. They found that the system allowed individual settings of tidal volume and PEEP controlling for end expiratory lung volume regardless of the disparity in lung model settings. This is about our fifth or sixth paper about sharing a ventilator um, that we've published since the COVID pandemic and I think we all agree that it's something without these kind of changes can be potentially dangerous and the additional monitoring that's required for having two patients on the same ventilator may defeat the purpose, which is there isn't enough people to go around to take care of these patients in a situation where you have too many patients and not enough caregivers. Studeni and others evaluated synchrony in a lung model during simulated pediatric non-invasive ventilation using a nasal cannula interface. They compared NIV using both pressure control, continuous mandatory ventilation, and pressure support. They found ineffective triggers to be the most common asynchrony in both modes. They suggested that NIV with a nasal cannula, which is commonly used, should be reevaluated in the face of these findings. Willis and colleagues report on their findings regarding the practices and perceptions of face mask use in a pediatric hospital during the COVID-19 pandemic. They distributed a survey to clinical and non-clinical staff at the height of the COVID pandemic. The response rate was 24%, with three-quarters of the responses coming from clinical staff. Most respondents reported wearing a cloth mask outside the hospital. The most common challenges reported were glasses fogging, skin irritation, and headaches. Qualitative data revealed themes of feeling unsafe, beliefs, practices about COVID-19 and masks mandates and enforcement of wearing masks, availability of personal protective equipment, and care delivery challenges. Respondent beliefs and resulting practices with face mask use impacted compliance and reported health issues. Um, It's been a constant problem through this pandemic that first masks were politicized um, and then moving forward, um, the data is pretty compelling that wearing masks helps reduce the spread of this dangerous disease. Dean Hess provides a paper based on his Egan lecture on evidence-based respiratory care. He provides a definition of evidence-based approaches and the levels of evidence which support common practices in respiratory care. The evidence-based supporting NIV for COPD and lung protection in ARDS is robust. However, he notes that a number of common respiratory care procedures, including incentive spirometry following an operative intervention, fail to support, have supportive evidence concludes that the principles of evidence-based medicine are a necessary approach to respiratory care practice. Bob Owens provides a paper on on his Petty Lecture on Long-Term Domiciliary NIV and COPD. He reviews the importance of oxygen therapy for improving long-term outcomes in COPD and compares the relative impact of NIV in improving ventilation of COPD subjects at home. The concept of high-intensity NIV using high inspiratory pressures and backup breathing frequencies to reduce arterial carbon dioxide levels and the impact on quality of life and mortality is discussed. He concludes that caregivers need to better identify and treat patients with COPD who might benefit from NIV, although many practical questions remain. Tom Perrano pens a paper on non-invasive respiratory support in acute care, including both non-invasive ventilation and high flow nasal cannula. Perano's paper is based on the Phil Kittredge Lecture. This work reviews the success of non-invasive methods to support gas exchange and hypoxemic and hypercapnic respiratory failure. His paper reviews practical applications of technology and evidence-based guidelines for use as well as common causes of failure. The New Horizons Symposium has been a staple of the AARC Congress for many years. The most recent New Horizons addressed the topic of respiratory care of the high-risk surgical patients. Some and colleagues discussed the preoperative evaluation of high-risk patients, including preoperative evaluation and tuning, um, stopping smoking, um, maximizing medications, things like that. Lew et al. reviewed the treatment of postoperative hypoxemia, use of conventional oxygen therapy, high-flow nasal cannula, CPAP, and non-invasive ventilation. Saunders and Davis contribute a year in review discussing the important papers in the last calendar year with regard to pharmaceutical therapy for COVID-19. Branson and Rodriguez provide a year in review on shared ventilation, noting that during 2020 the publications related to shared ventilation increased by tenfold compared to the entire previous publication history. Austin and Branson contribute a special article on the use of anesthesia workstation as an ICU ventilator a practice that was attempted in many facilities during the COVID-19 peak. The nuances of anesthesia ventilators and different intended uses rendered this practice far more difficult than was anticipated. This paper highlights differences and shortcomings of the anesthesia ventilator in the ICU. Um, As the editor and and someone who's written on this in the past, um, I have to admit that I was taken aback. We had always assumed that it would be fairly easy to move an anesthesia ventilator into the PACU or into the ICU and use it as an ICU ventilator, as these ventilators have become much more sophisticated in the last decade, but there are a lot of practical issues that include rebreathing systems, the presence of vaporizers, the presence of the CO2 absorbent, that really made this practice again far more difficult than people are appreciated, um, and really requires that we reconsider it moving forward. Anderson and co-workers provide an invited review on the use of mechanically assisted cough in patients with neuromuscular disease with an emphasis on the effects on the upper airway responses. This paper provides an understanding of the larynx and laryngeal function in the face of alternating airway pressures. Um, Tina Anderson is an expert in, in this area and don't forget to look at the online source of the paper and look at the videos and the supplementary materials that go with this paper which are excellent and instructive. We also publish a new AARC clinical practice guideline on the management of pediatric patients um, with oxygen in the acute care setting and is provided by the AARC working group. We appreciate you subscribing to the Restory Care podcast and look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thank you. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.